Hey, welcome back. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and uh, it was a, hopefully a blessed time for you. It was for us and um, it's nice to have a few days off after the Christmas uh, Eve service. And um, interestingly, uh, because of everything going on uh, with uh, COVID and travel and that kind of thing, we actually stayed home for Christmas for the first time um, that I can remember. And so we um, had a pretty relaxing Christmas morning and just spent some time together, went over to some friends for for dinner. It was just a really, really sweet time. I hope you all enjoyed as well. And um, But, you know, we're going to come back now and just open the Word together and, and dive right back in where we left off. So if you've got your Bible ready, and as always, I hope you do, we're going to go ahead and uh, go back to Acts chapter 5. And last time we were together in Acts, we were talking about how uh, Ananias and Sapphira had been uh, judged for their hypocrisy. Uh, the people, in response to this, uh, fear came upon the people, and many kind of stayed at a distance because they saw God working so powerfully and it frightened them, uh, the purity of the church and that kind of thing, but they held them in high regard. And uh, even uh, uh, even though there were those that stayed away, there also continued to uh, be added to the church men and women who uh, put their trust in the Lord. And so we left off last time with uh, the apostles just doing signs and wonders and bringing attention to God, retention to Jesus through the works that they were doing as many were healed and demons were uh, cast out and such. And so we pick up here this morning in chapter 5, verse 17, and uh, where it says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So the high priest rises up. Now, as we've uh, mentioned in the previous chapter, chapter 4, that this may refer either to Annas or Caiaphas. Uh, Annas had been the high priest and was still held by many in Jerusalem, uh, in Israel, to be the high priest. However, Rome had replaced him. They deposed Annas and installed instead his son-in-law Caiaphas or Caiaphas and put him in that position. So who's in view here is not exactly clear, but... Um, and so it, it it could be either one. You know, both have a vested interest in Israel's well-being for their own personal gain. Uh, they were historically known not to necessarily be uh, the purest of heart and motivation. Uh, but both of them had a vested interest in holding on to their positions of power and prestige and the various uh, 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 benefits that came with that. Uh, and so they rose up in response to what was going on by the hands of the apostles as uh, in the name of Jesus, many were being healed, many were being delivered from demonic uh, oppression and possession and these kinds of things. Um, there was this sense of community building among the believers, and things like this ultimately enraged the high priest uh, and also the Sadducees, who, as we've mentioned in previous episodes when they've come up, the Sadducees are much more the secular, politically-minded branch of the leadership of Israel. They don't believe really in a resurrection. They don't believe in much of the supernatural uh, elements of, uh, uh, of, their, of their religion, whereas the Pharisees were on the other side of the coin. They were strict adherents to the, to the law and all of the supernatural elements that came with it, including um, you know, the resurrection and such. And so, um, uh, and so the Sadducees are much more the secular-minded of the two groups. And um, so as they join together with the high priest, um, what may be in view in, in this being mentioned by Luke here is that they are really wanting to step out in part out of jealousy over what's going on 
uh, in terms of, of the church, the apostles and the believers are starting to gain a lot of traction and therefore pull some of that uh, attention and um, uh, and even some of their authority away from the the, the chief priest and the or the uh, yeah the the the, the uh, high priest and the Sadducees and the and the ruling party in Israel at the time. More and more people were starting to join on to the church and follow this Jesus whom they had condemned. And so on the one hand, their own personal positions and prestige were being, uh, in their minds, were being put under assault. But also there's a very practical element to this as well. And that is that if there's a growing body of Jewish people who are now going after an unsanctioned religion or following after Jesus, who is not recognized by Rome as an acceptable religion like Judaism was, then there was also the, uh, the, the, the potential problem of Rome coming down on Israel for not taking care of this uh, renegade group of religious people as well. It was very much like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in the first place and they all began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, that was not only something that the Pharisees didn't believe in, but it also created a potential problem in their position with Rome, the, the nation's problem with Rome. In other words, if another king was claiming to arise out of Israel, Rome might deal with them harshly as they would with other nations that would want to rise up against them. And so there's both the personal pride issues that they have, but there's also the very practical element of, of their political and, and, and national standing under Roman rule. And so they are jealous and they're furious with the Sadducees. Uh, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison or in sort of a large ward kind of a situation where they were incarcerated, but uh, in, in a larger space, since it was now just not Peter and John, but actually the apostles as a group. And so they are in this public prison area. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Um, now, um, as we go through this, you'll, you'll notice that something happens here. As the angel comes and releases them, nobody knows they've been released, which means 12 guys are now walking out of a prison that is guarded and walking back out into the street. It's not until later that anybody even realizes they're gone. Now, this would happen later with Peter as well, where he's in prison and uh, uh, the, 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 our believers praying for him and an angel shows up and Peter's asleep in his cell and the angel wakes him up and gets him and he walks out past through the guards and all this kind of thing and all of a sudden he's out in the street. Nobody has seen this, even though it happened right in front of them. And so something very miraculous has taken place here where an angel not only comes and tells them to get back out there and, and preach, but he actually uh, secures their departure from prison without anybody noticing. And so it's really a dramatic thing. But they are commanded to then go back into the temple area and continue to preach about this life. In other words, the new life in Christ that they have been preaching about. Now, uh, and, and the verse continues there in verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with uh, him... They called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. And so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Again, something miraculous has taken place. 
Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, the captain of the temple being the leader of the guards of the temple area, in other words, he's probably sweating right now because his guards have let him down in his mind. He has no idea that a divine jailbreak has taken place at the hand of an angel. All he knows is that his prisoners and those who were in his charge are now gone, and so they're sweating this out a little bit, no doubt. So again, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, uh, hugely concerned and uh, confused about all that's happening here, wondering what this would come to. Uh, so at this point, because this is happening, they're starting to realize, like, okay, th like this is now the second time that we've had these folks incarcerated, but we've not been able to do anything, and this movement is continuing to gain traction. They have concern over what's happening here in their midst, and they are not able to control it. And that is a very disconcerting position to be in for the leadership. Uh, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So the people are recognizing that a, a work of God is taking place. People are being healed. They're being delivered again from demonic uh, possession and such. There is a, a tremendous uh, outpouring of God's working through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles uh, here in this place. And so the, the, those who are in charge are realizing that they, they really need to approach this with kid gloves because if they just go grab them and throw them in prison, uh, the people are going to rise up against that because they recognize an authentic work of God. Now, it's interesting that the uh, high priest, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the, the temple guard and the, the, the temple, top temple officers and such, uh, the captain of the temple, they, they don't recognize that God is working. Or they, they do, but it's not fitting what they're expecting for God to do. After all, they're in charge. Uh, there's all kinds of issues going on on that side of the aisle, as it were. Uh, and so as they are trying to wrestle with this and figure out how to handle it, they're realizing they have to be a little careful here. Um, now, we're going to see here in just a moment um, um, where this discussion goes as they're trying to deal with it. Now, when they brought them, verse 27, they set them before the council and the high priest, questioning them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Already, in a very short time, Jerusalem is abuzz with this teaching of this resurrected Jesus. And also, if you remember, uh, as they'll say here in a moment, every time they're preaching, they are pointing out the fact that Israel and her leadership are responsible for putting to death the Lord of life who came to ultimately save them from their sin and set them free. And so here they acknowledge this. They've filled Jerusalem with their teaching even though they've been commanded not to, because after all, as Peter said before, and as they're about to say again, look, whether it's right to obey God or men, you decide, but we cannot help but speak about that which we've seen and heard. And so they filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree or crucifying him. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, the word leader there is the same word that is translated author. 
in, in Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 12, where it speaks about Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, um, uh, also in chapter 3, earlier here, similarly that term is used of Jesus. And so uh, the idea here is that you have taken and arrested and crucified the author of our faith, the, the giver of life, the one who came to ultimately um, uh, be our savior in that. And so they don't back off of the charge. In other words, uh, this counsel is absolutely correct, that Peter and the apostles are preaching this. And, uh, and he doesn't, again, back down from it. Again, the boldness that they have prayed for is, is clearly in view, as God has given them that boldness now to stand before leaders and magistrates and to speak to them. Now, we mentioned in a previous uh, episode, too, that um, Jesus said, uh, it was in uh, Luke's Gospel, I think, when he was speaking about uh, the Holy Spirit would come, and when he does, he would give them the words to say when they found themselves brought before leaders and magistrates. And here is exactly the fulfillment of that taking place. And so the Holy Spirit is giving them boldness. The Holy Spirit, who himself is a witness to these things that they've been preaching about, forgiveness of sins, and all of this that has come through Christ. Now, verse 33, when they, have heard that, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you do about these men, or do with these men. For before these days, Thutis, a man named Thutis, rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, not Judas Iscariot, but a different Judas. Uh, The Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this uh, plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So, Gamaliel, who comes up later, we find out that Saul of Tarsus, Paul, was ultimately trained under Gamaliel, uh, one of these great rabbis in Israel, who's respected by all the people, including those in the council right there. And so Gamaliel stands up and he speaks to the council a really wise word. And he points out a couple of instances previously where uh, certain men had risen up and had gained, uh, had garnered lots of followers, not nearly as many as Jesus had, grant you, but they had gathered, uh, gathered lots of followers. But eventually those two leaders were killed or they died, they perished, uh, and, and their movement dispersed. It became nothing. And so Gamaliel says, look, if this is really just of men, if, 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 if this is really just them propping up this whole idea, then eventually it's going to die down. Now, the reason that he could say something like that and I will give him the benefit of the doubt that he is a, as, as a Pharisee, clearly he believes in God. He's a, a, a student of Israel's law and history and all of these things. He likely believes that, look, if this is not of God, then God will make sure it dissipates and it will just disappear. This is a good word for you and I, by the way. When we see things cropping up that are 
opposing the gospel or opposing us in some way, but they're just man's devices to try and do something. We would do well to trust God and, and know that he'll take care of it. He'll stand by our side. He'll, he'll put down that um, which he deems as being um, against him in that. And so um, Gamaliel gives that advice. He says, but on the other hand, if this is of God, <clears throat> then you're not going to stop it. And not only that, but you might find yourselves fighting God, right? <clears throat> Again, sometimes we don't understand what's going on around us. I'm not kind of, you know, getting on Gamaliel's team per se, but, but there's some wisdom in what he's saying here. Uh, if God is doing something, even if it doesn't line up with what we are expecting or what we would do, uh, we want to make sure that we don't push so hard in something that we don't know that God might be behind. And if he is behind it, then we may actually find ourselves fighting God. And so it's just a wise word uh, here from a man who I don't think was a believer, but was certainly uh, somebody who was speaking with a, a genuine measure of wisdom under the circumstances. And so listening to him, they went ahead and they charged them again not to speak in Jesus' name, not to preach in his name, and they sent them out. Okay, so again, no real punishment here. They just warned them not to do this anymore. And of course, they will completely blow it off just like they did the last time, which is always the right answer when you're told you cannot preach the gospel. Um, and so, you know, now maybe I shouldn't just so cavalierly say that. If you're working and you decide in the middle of your workday that you're going to start sharing the gospel with your coworker at their desk while you're supposed to be working, there may be an instance where this is the opportunity you have. But uh, remember something, too. Your testimony is also to be a good employee in that. So ask that person to meet after work for coffee or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to... There may be some circumstance where that, that door is not as open as we think it is. But by and large, in general, 90% of the time, uh, when the idea comes up that you are not supposed to preach the gospel, in that previous example, it wasn't never preach the gospel, but not while you're on the clock when I'm paying you, like, you know, kind of a thing. But most, most always, when the opportunity to, give the, to share the gospel comes up, and opposition says, you cannot preach the gospel. That's wrong. You can't do that. You're going to get in trouble if you uh, talk about this Jesus and this kind of thing. You know what? That's their problem. Your job is to be an ambassador for Christ. And so um, that being said, you know, it, that's what they did. They were told not to, and they said, no, we're going to get continue. And so they did. In verse uh, 41, then they left the presence of the council. Get this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. <clears throat> they considered it a badge of honor, a privilege, um, to be able to suffer persecution for Jesus. Uh, and, and they were literally brought before the leaders of Israel. And they were thrown in prison a couple of times already. They were uh, persecuted. They, you know, the history of the church at this point, and, and, and for many, many years afterward, and even in our day, uh, the cost of following Jesus and proclaiming the gospel is one of physical abuse and uh, in some cases even torture. I had a chance to go to, uh, my wife and I had a chance to go with some friends to a Voice of the Martyrs conference out here not too, uh, well, it's a few years ago now, I guess. But um, a, a, a small little Chinese woman uh, spoke at the conference about her experience in her culture being put in jail, um, them taking rods and beating the bottoms of her feet. So every time she tried to walk, it was agonizing. Uh, they had bound her in ways that were unnatural, that just pulled joints out and all kinds of things, 
all for preaching the gospel, and she wouldn't relent, uh, even though she went through all that. It was extremely moving, and I'm not one of these people that just weeps at every story kind of a thing. But this was profoundly moving, and uh, it was a modern-day example of exactly what we're talking about here, uh, that this kind of persecution oftentimes, not just, hey, stop, or you're a jerk, or you're so stupid for believing in Jesus. That's verbal abuse, and that can hurt our feelings and that, but it's it's so far, um, you know, I, I don't want to compare, I guess, but just there, there's, there's a whole other thing. When people are physically beaten and abused, uh, put in environments where they are unable to be with other people for long stretches of time, they're denied food, they're imprisoned, uh, you know, um, for, no re- for no reason other than the gospel, just all kinds of hardships, physical, uh, again, physical abuse for this kind of thing. This is something that, that comes with the territory for many who have followed Jesus. I'm very thankful to say that when I'm speaking to you about this, this is not something I've experienced. I'm thankful that I haven't been had the bottoms of my feet beaten with rods for following Jesus. But I would hope that it ever came to, if it ever came to that, that God would give me the grace to endure that. And we should all pray for that because you just never know what can happen in the days ahead um, or what your circumstances could become, you know. And so to recognize that that is part and parcel with the Christian faith. Again, Paul told Timothy this. We've, we've quoted this many times, that all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. But again, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. One day, all of this will be behind us and we'll be in the presence of God in our glorified bodies, enjoying his presence forever. And all these things will be a distant memory. But for right now, we have to expect the fact that we will suffer persecution. We will face hardships and difficulties at the hands of, of those in this world who are opposed to God. And the disciples counted it a blessing and a privilege, counted it an honor to be able to endure these things for the name of Jesus. Um, I, I read that and it inspires me. It humbles me for sure. Um, but it inspires me to want to pray that should it ever happen, that, that we would have the wherewithal to stand in the face of that uh, and not deny his name. And verse 42 continues and finishes where we'll leave off today. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus, uh, that the, uh, preaching Christ Jesus. And so they just continued, look, we're not going to obey your command to stop. We are instead going to continue to make Jesus' name known. House to house, in the temple, in public, they just went on. And so as believers, we go on. You know, whether it's a medium like this, whether it's out in the open square, wherever we might find ourselves, we continue to make his name known. As we mentioned at the outset of our study on the book of Acts, this is a rich book for us as believers in our time to glean from. Because as we move closer and closer to the return of Christ, uh, it's always been my suspicion. Again, I'm not claiming to speak prophetically here, but I I do have a suspicion that as we get closer and closer, we're going to find that this church today, the authentic church today, in many respects, is going to look more and more like the first century church. Uh, In terms of its gatherings, in terms of its, hopefully, its practices, the four legs of the stool there in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, um, you know, and, and also potentially in terms of its persecution. You know, the world is clearly moving further and further away. From, uh, from belief in absolutes to belief in truth uh, in any kind of an objective, absolute sense. Uh, and so as those who hold an absolute objective truth about the person and finished work of Christ, 
um, we're going to find ourselves increasingly at odds with the world around us. But it becomes, therefore, much more important for us to, like these first century brothers and sisters, to stand firm and to recognize that as Jesus stands with us, he calls us to stand with him. And so, Father, help us to have that, um, that wherewithal, help us to have that courage, that deep desire to stand with you in all things, that we might bring the name of Jesus to the world around us, both to those next door and those around the world. We thank you for the privilege and the honor of being able to do so, and help us in times of difficulty and persecution to consider that a privilege as well. Father, you know our hearts. Um, You know how frail we can be when those opportunities come. So we pray you'd give us the strength in those moments. Even as you told the disciples, they would be, as the Holy Spirit would fill them and give them empowerment to do the things that he had called them to do, in the same way we ask for his empowerment in our day as well. Fill us to overflowing. We know he dwells within us, but we ask you to, uh, to send him to fall upon us and strengthen us for all that you would have us do. Father, for your glory that the name of Jesus might be exalted and elevated, and that, Father, we as your church might just continue to be about bringing you glory. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, uh, I invite you to go ahead and comment if you like. Uh, You can do this on our YouTube channel or on my personal website at parsonspad.com. If you want to send an email, I'm noticing we're starting to see that a little bit more, so that's kind of cool. But if you want to send an email, you can do that um, both through our church website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can click on the contact button and you can email me. Or if you are on my website at parsonspad.com, you can also click on the link there to uh, to email me as well. And uh, I do my best, by the way, to try and respond to as many comments as I can. Um, you know, I can't, I don't mean to make it sound like we're getting millions of comments. It's nothing like that. But, but it, it has increased a bit since we started. And so I do my best to try and get back in a timely way. Uh, and so, um, so if you comment uh, and, and, you know, if, if, if you're sincerely wanting to dialogue on things, I want to interact with you on that. So, um, but thanks again for watching, as always. And uh, we're going to kind of get back on track now. We've taken a few days off, but we're going to go ahead and, and uh, start getting back on track. Over the new year, there might be a day or two where, where we may not post, but by and large, we're going to kind of get right back into our daily Monday through Friday posts. So I so appreciate you watching and your encouragements and certainly the interactions we enjoy together. So I look forward to catching up with you next time. And until then, may the Lord watch over us and embolden us and give us power to do that which he's called us to. God bless you.